Welcome back to Concrete Pastures. My name is Nancy Mulemosisi. I am so excited to be here. And if you're new to Concrete Pastures, welcome. Concrete Pastures is a platform for us immigrants, for us dreamers. It's a platform for us to inspire each other through our stories and also give insights on what it's like to be an immigrant anywhere in the world. And if you'd like to inspire somebody out there, because you know your story is unique and there's somebody out there waiting to hear yours please feel free to reach out to me before i start the new episode i just want to thank all of you guys the concrete pastures family thank you so much for tuning in every single week Guyana, I see you listening. Cote d'Ivoire, South Africa, UK, and Zambia, my home country. I, I see you. I appreciate you for the support. Oh, and my US family. Oh my God. You just came through so on a whole different level. I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much. And I thank you for all of you guys listening. It's very encouraging. I had no expectations when creating this platform for us. I was just hoping somebody gets inspired out there. I hope you are getting inspired uh, every week through each and everybody that comes on the platform to share their stories including myself, because I am inspired through other people's stories. I'm so grateful that you tune in every week. On this week's episode, though, we will be traveling to the UK, London. I'm so excited. I've never been to London. Um, I wish I could go there physically, but yeah, one day soon. Our guest is coming from the UK and her name is Muma Sinkala. She is an award-winning creative alchemist. Her background is banking, financial tech, consultancy, and social impact. She is a claw fella and redefines what it means to use one's passions for the highest good. Muma believes in not limiting herself. She thrives on creativity. She is the CEO of Crepia, an African fine tech providing financial services to CMAEs in the informal sector. She also owns AAFS, the first immersive investment art platform dedicated to increase the value of African art for the savvy collector. Muma most enjoys using her skills to empower women to take up space. She is an executive leader in Africa and the UK. She continues to use her skills to influence in the niche sectors, such as mining and international development. She has advised at the Parliamentary Internet Communication and Technology Forum on the imminent need for Black women in positions of decision-making to curb inequality in the tech sector. She is a speaker on multiple international stages, such as Oxford Union, and also 
a board member on two charities promoting the use of technology and the business skills for disadvantaged women. I'm so proud of this woman and I am so happy to actually dive and dissect her achievements and really celebrate her for achievements. It's not easy. And please welcome our girl, Muma. Hi, Muma. Hi, girl. Hello, everybody. Hi, all the listeners. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. We're finally doing this, and uh, I can't wait to dive into your story. How is London? Actually, London is actually not... I was going to say it's cold, but that would be lying. It's getting to summer almost now, so it's getting warm. It's lovely today. The sun's out, and the cherry blossom trees are out, which is... My daughter loves the trees uh, blossoming and the, the, like every time we're driving, because we're having spring, I think, I guess we have the same um, yes, weather. Yeah. And she, she loves it every day. She's just like, oh my God, let me look at the trees. I know, I, so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. It's, I think it's the best time, but for people with allergies, I feel bad. I'm so sorry. I don't have allergies. I'm kind of developing them little by little. I feel them, but. That's something we should talk about because at some point I said having allergies as well, like really bad ones where my eyes would just be crying. Yeah a sore throat and I had never experienced that prior to coming to England when I was in Zambia or Africa like never had hay fever and then all of a sudden the summer is here started killing me I've gotten better as I've grown older but it's yeah something immigrants should be aware of <laughs> no like seriously it's it's true because for years and years I haven't experienced everybody like here complains all oh, my allergies there's these coughing all over the place the eyes are like dripping and stuff and I never go through it. For the past two years, I kind of feel my throat sometimes itchy. And it's not as bad. I cannot compare to anybody. But I feel it. I'm like, okay, I think this is coming on. Being here too long, I'm getting all of these, you know, things that are, come with the environment that I'm in. <laughs> oh, talking about Zambia and Africa, I know you are from the motherland. <laughs> uh, what was your life like? I, I want to dive into first. Uh, you could tell us what your experience was in, in Zambia because we all experience life differently. I want to know what your experience was like and what made you decide to go to the UK. Okay. My life in Zambia was ooh, happy growing up as a kid. So actually my journey is like this. I was actually born in Liverpool in England. Then my parents left when I was a little child to go back to Zambia. Mm. Then I was a little child again. They moved to South Africa because of my dad's work. And we lived there up until I was like maybe 15, like, you know. And then, oh, actually 14, because I went back to Zambia at some point and I did high school in Zambia. And then I, yeah, so my life was like pretty much South Africa and Zambia. So even though I lived in South Africa, I was always in Zambia every year, holidays. So I, I have this affinity to both countries. Like I understand them really well both. Like it's oh, as nice. in both places at the same time. And then around my last year, because I finished school when I was quite young, I think by 15 I was done. I say to my mom, I want to go to England. And my mom was like, no, you're too young. You can't like travel to a whole continent by yourself, go and live there. I don't see how that can happen. And it's so funny that maybe only after going through therapy recently do I recognize why I left. I was actually running away when I realized what went on, what like 
when you look back you think oh i just wanted to go and study but there was yeah. something happening in my heart and my head at that moment at that time that led me to here exactly i think so i always knew that at some point one day i'd love to go and see where i was born it wasn't like oh it was a passion that i'm going to go and live in england and that's where i want to stay yeah i always wanted to come and just like be where i was born like just see how it is then my parents went through a very horrible divorce and that really took a strain on me it just did loads of bad things to my mind you know it, it really affected me so much and i realized that the period when i was saying to my mom i want to leave it was more like i was running away so even though it was the perfect time because i had finished high school and i was looking at what university i was going to go to and what i was going to study it was the period to just run i think i was running to be honest because everything was breaking down in the family and <laughs> it wasn't a great time it was a, not a nice environment at that period my mother's father got a stroke in the village and my mother decided to have him come and stay with us and that year prior to coming to university i spent with my grandfather every day so my granddad i had the last time i remember meeting him i was probably like 5 or 6 I was very little so everything I remembered about him was nothing like even though I remembered the fun times him giving me sweets and all that stuff but I remember my grandmother vividly even though I was only 6 years old I remember her more because she used to come all the time and the crazy she was crazy like me like absolutely <laughs> like seriously next level <laughs> My grandmother was the best person I know and in that year of staying with my grandfather I am so grateful because I I am a very firm believer that no matter how difficult your life may look you're always where you're meant to be. I know sometimes when you're in the trenches it doesn't feel like that mm. is. That period that my grandfather was forced to come and live with us and my mom was going through her divorce and everything was not great at home. I literally found solace in my grandfather's wisdom. I learned Bember in a deeper way. I can read Bember it. I can read the Bember Bible, you know, like proper like I learned all about traditions deeply what they mean i had like this really beautiful relationship to communicate with my grandfather everything about our families you know even heal him in some way like to understand like you know what are the things you shouldn't have done what are the those are conversations their generation never had with their kids yep had that close bond with my grandfather that i can't even explain and it was that year that did that and then i came to university just a year later yeah oh, so that's, that's my life it was it was good Oh, that's I mean we life throws a lot on us and we all go through that those times where it's so tough with, especially with families and uh when parents separate it's hard on everybody there's no winners everybody is losing so much especially on the kids it's it's more difficult on the kids because they are used to one thing and all of a sudden it's being torn apart and then what do i do next in your case to find solace with your grandfather that's really great because we don't get those times back creating experiences i think is great and you created that experience with your uh, grandfather that's amazing thank you for sharing that oh my gosh so when you got to the place you were born yeah and uh <laughs> which is the UK how was that adjusting um the, the the first year the first month the first week how was that everybody always asked me mama you must be so lonely it must be so hard because your family is not there mm. actually was the opposite for me i was so 
like you know when a child sees something for the first time and they're learning i was just taking everything in learning i literally hit the ground running it was completely abnormal when you think about it now okay wow. but like people were complaining i want to go home and i was just like happy to be myself be an adult do things for myself i loved it at first but in hindsight that's because everything was already protected and like taking care of in the back by my mother because you know it's different from for people who take themselves to university for example people going on a student loan yeah. you know what I mean? you're paying your own school fees i'm grateful because when i did go to university it was my mother who had taken care of my coming here nice. so maybe like those central things the main things like how you're going to live how your school fees are paid was taken care of in the background it didn't feel so you know i had to just concentrate on school making friends Do you know what I mean? Passing, so it wasn't terrible to be honest at first. I'm glad that you you shared that because we don't all have to go through a hard time when we first adjust to the new environment. Were you are you a citizen of? Um, no, no, uh, no, uh, no. <laughs> so maybe I don't know. I don't know what kind of questions you want to ask me, but because you most... since you were born there, because sometimes if you were born in the so country, in America, you become... it's like once you're born in a country, you become a citizen automatically. Yeah. They changed the rules just the year before I was born. Oh wow! Yes, you need to be living in the country for ten years when you're a baby for you to automatically get citizenship, or come back when you're a child, like whilst you're still a child. And so I'm going now through the naturalization process. I've made my application. It is very long. Like there's something to be said about how like the process takes forever in the UK. I, I think the immigration process takes long everywhere. Yeah, this is something people don't talk about. But I think what people do not recognize is these are oppressive systems actually created to torture immigrants, in my opinion, to make them to burden them. Because at the end of the day, immigrants bring a whole lot of resources in countries. You know, yep. the GDP of the economy. And things like that. So for you to be trying to naturalize or change citizenship, but for it to be so hard for you, for you to pay hefty fees, which are ridiculous, when you've been living in the country, maybe as a good citizen, paying your your taxes and everything, is actually an oppressive system. It is actually very racially created as well. Because if we were to look at the bias of, for example, even passports, visas, and certain countries, and yeah. how treated, I can speak to what is going on in Ukraine at the moment. Like you can just see how. The Ukraine people like it's horrible what's happening there. So I can't even imagine being displaced. Like you're living in your household today, tomorrow you don't have anywhere to go. Your kids hospital. It's horrible, you know. But on one end, multiple countries have been going through this for years. They do not get the same treatment that Ukrainian citizens have gotten. We have to speak about what's going on in Palestine. Palestine is being occupied. It's the exact same thing. Those people are being taken out of their homes, but you don't see the treatment of borders being open for them in all these other countries. You've seen what was happening in Haiti. In Haiti, the Haitians were trying to run from war, trying to run from poverty in their country, trying to cross the border in America. What was happening? They were being whipped like slaves. Just in 2021. Oh my God. Later, what did the president say just recently? Oh yeah, we're opening the borders to Ukrainians. You can apply. Ukrainians all the way in Europe. America, Haiti is much closer to you guys. There was the refugees going through something. So I am not trying to say that one one refugee is better than the other. What I'm saying is they're all human beings. When you're a human being and you're running from war, 
or being displaced from poverty or trafficking or whatever the horrible things people run from their countries are for you. Countries that are receiving you should not try to make it like worse for you to reduce your mental health in that process because apparently they're tired of immigrants. And when you really look at like most countries and their laws, citizens do not really care about these things. It is politicians who create campaigns around these ideas that then make, rouse people up to feel this sense of nationalism. It's not even something they believe in because a lot of them eat Chinese food. They drive Japanese cars and German cars. You know what I mean? They love eating food. So when you look at behaviors and psychology, people do not necessarily hate immigrants or refugees. It is the agenda that politicians create around their campaigns that make people start believing or thinking that they hate immigrants. Because actually, when you really look at the world, we're all immigrants, realistically except for probably Africans, because we all come from Africa. Okay, she said it. The whole point of you doing your ancestry, DNA, whatever, and you hear, oh, you're 10 Yes, I'm so glad you bring that up. You are an immigrant. So you saying, go back to where you come from is redundant, because you also come from somewhere where your ancestors' ancestors came from. So, like, if we could all see ourselves as human humanity first, I think the world would be a better place. Yeah, no, and uh, the, the first thing of having love for one another and war is something that's affecting all of us. Like, the Ukrainian and um, Russia war going on right now, it's affecting all of us. My kids are Ukrainian. And, yeah, yeah they're partially Ukrainian. My daughter was telling me, she's like, um, Mommy, we're no longer going to go to Ukraine anymore, uh, at all. I'm like, yeah, we're not going to go because of what's happening. And we pray for the families that are going through war all over the world. It's just not only, you know. It breaks your heart. Like, it and does. you know the thing about war, even right now as I'm talking, I'm getting goosebumps. It never fails me every time I talk about refugees but did you know that in wars, the people who suffer the most are women and children? Look yes. At- I just did an interview that I just finished with um, my sister from Angola. And she actually had moved from her parents. She was seven years old. They, Because of the war in Angola, they had her go to live in Zambia, which she felt abandoned by her own parents. And I want people to listen to that because of the effects of war, even though she became an immigrant in another country, but going to Zambia was not her first choice. And being there without her parents at that age, and it made me think of what's happening right now, because it's not only those people in that country that are affected, it's everybody in the world Mm -hmm. that's affected. And I mean, for soldiers, it affects them differently, for Mm -hmm. uh, kids and women it affects them very very different and it creates so much damage for the rest of their lives and her talking it was a very difficult conversation to even get into and i just want people to get a little bit she didn't go too much into detail because it's a it's challenging i'm glad she shared a little bit but also going into uh, what she experienced because of war and um having an immigrant in another country but yeah, we go through these things that are unexpected that we don't want to go through. How long have you been in, in the UK? 15 years. Oof, that's a long time. So you went through school? My whole adult life, pretty much. Nice. 
So you've been through school yeah. and you are now, are you working? What are you doing? I'm working now. So uh, finished university and then got some odd jobs because as you know, as they say, when you're an immigrant, it's difficult to find jobs. <laughs> not going to be me. So I looked and looked and looked and thank God I found a job, eventually a professional job in banking. And I stayed in banking for like over 10 years. And that was my career. And then after like just pre-pandemic, I had been thinking about like leaving because I, I felt that I had reached the epitome of like what my career was in the bank. I didn't see myself growing further. So I was like, I need a challenge and I've worked so many different roles within the bank. What do I do? And a friend came to me with the idea of starting a company that will provide loans to businesses. And I was like, mm, why don't we change it up? And, you know, instead of just creating loans, let's make it a digital uh, platform that will eventually turn into a digital bank, but for a specific group, which is SMEs who are banks. And that was what we created. So we then created Cripia, which was formed. And that's what I've been doing since. Um... Uh, so created Creepia, which is based in Zambia. And the hope for Creepia is that it eventually becomes like the digital bank for the unbanked in Africa in general, you know, and probably the world because we want our model to be copied. You know, there's no data that exists today for unbanked people because nobody cares to look at what the poor do, you know, or what the world perceives as poor. But the reality of those unbanked people is they account for about 87% of all employment in Africa. And no one's creating products for this group of people who, you know, I'm talking about the Vanamalikit. So when you say Vanamalikit, like those market women who sell vegetables on the street. Yeah. Village woman selling, um, you know, that market woman selling vegetables on the street is able to take her child through school, through selling vegetables. That tells you the profit that comes from her business. She circulates money within the economy. Why is no one doing something for that person to help them elevate their lives? Because when you elevate that person's life, in effect, you're actually elevating your economy. When you elevate your economy, you can, you can, you know, become on the world stage. You can create technology. You can do so many things. We decided to tackle the craziest thing, something no one wants to do. And I also then decided to pursue my other passion. So, Because at the period that my friend approached me about Krivia, I was pursuing my passion of deciding to create an art platform. And one thing I'll tell you about myself is I don't just create things for fun. I create yeah. on purpose and I create them to be highly creative. Yeah. So I don't want things to be done how they've always been done. I want to change it. How are we living today? But I also want us to retain our culture. Like, I truly think that African culture is normally trampled on because people think that it's barbaric, it's old, it's traditional, it's masks. No. Our culture is very spiritual and very, like, it's very purposeful. The way our ancestors created things, the way we we speak in everything, the, the way, the ceremonies that you do, the way you name your children, there's a purpose in all that. And I am I am a deep, like, reader as well. Like, I read a lot of psychology books. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, now, when you read things like science, when they're discovering certain things, you realize our ancestors knew these things. It just wasn't known to them as science but these people were so far ahead like yo it's so deep and i want to retain those kind of facts about who we are and incorporate them in businesses that we do without shame you know but retaining our value so from the african art perspective i realize that a lot of african artists are highly undervalued you go to sotheby's christie's all these huge art houses african artists art sells for like 
peanuts compared to their counterparts. Yeah. Whose job is it to make Africans visible? And whose job is it for, for you know, for helping them sell their, their artwork at value? We can't always wait on the West. We can't always wait for white people to do things for us to be, to become valuable. Yeah. The world today good technology. Technology is leveling the playing field. Use what you have around you to recreate the life that you want. And that's what I'm doing. So I've created an app platform called African Art for Spaces, which is launching end of this month. So be a member. Oh, African Art? For Spaces. So it's aafsart.com. Gotcha. First of all, you've said so much. And I want, no, no, this is your time. I just want to congratulate you on everything. Listen, I'm a dreamer. I'm constantly dreaming and I love to meet my fellow dreamers. Or <laughs> Nothing is, uh, the sky is the limit. And if you can dream it and you can see it, why not achieve it? This is why we travel to these countries and we have so much resources. If we can change the world the way we want to see it, why not do that? And this is why I created this platform. Nobody was doing this. Nobody's telling their stories. So why not share your stories on what it's like to be an immigrant? On, and why not support? Oh my gosh, I can't wait to look at this platform. This is amazing. Yeah. And then the bank, okay. I'm in the banking world. (laughs) I've been in it for 15 years. And the fact that you created this is mind-boggling. People don't even understand this unless you're in finance. It takes so much time. It takes so much planning. It takes so much. And for it to to be (laughs) online and for you to help out these women, business women, Guys, please check it out. Check her out on YouTube. There's so many videos, testimonials from all of the um, the clients that are coming to her and the people that she's helping. Oh my God, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Okay, Zambian girls doing big things. Okay, I love it. I love it. Thank you. That, is, that makes me. This is like this makes me so happy. Like the, the, one of the main two reasons I feel. I need to do it is I want to open the door for women to see themselves in spaces where they never ever think that there could be a woman founder, a woman CEO of a, a of like an art company and a digital bank. Like I've had people ask me like, how dare you? Like, you know, like literally like, how dare you like open these two huge things? These are first of all, you know, obviously, I've had I've got finance background, but as you say, you know how mammoth it is—the regulation, everything. <laughs> to, to do something. The fact finance. that it's actually in Zambia, you have to pay for so much stuff for it to and, be. You know, and then on one side as well, um, to see yourself creating something in art when you're not from the art world, like there's so much imposter syndrome that comes with that because. People, we're, we're always, as we're growing up, we're taught to do to stay in our lanes. Yes. You study, to do things like as a woman, how you're you know, supposed to do them. If I tell you the crazy things I've ended up doing just by letting go of the idea that society told me I should do this, I just do what I want. I think that's the way to go. I, I think we have to do what we're called to do. And everybody has their calling. And I feel like you helping those women because that's also the purpose of why I created this platform to be able to give back home. I grew up very poor. My humble beginnings 
is my drive for everything. And for me to be able to, if someone is sponsoring this show and be able to give back to kids that are not able to go to school during the rainy season or kids that don't have books, uniforms, and just to help out those primary schools. My aunt, she's a teacher. I asked how many uh, like students she has, 60 students in class. How is that? Like, like how? It's crazy that she should have to teach 60. Like, how does anybody attend to those type of situations? Because it's hard to attend to even two kids or four kids or five kids. 60 as one teacher, like, come on. So I am so proud of you for giving back uh, where you come from. And uh, let's continue to give back. When we have, let's give. And you are doing that so well, honey. And I'm so proud. As well, when we talk about the topic of giving back, uh, like I said about being purposeful and intentional in what you do, I've always wanted to give, but I don't want to like give in terms of like seeing other people as charity. None of us like to be charity. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not a good feeling when people are giving you hand-down clothes or they're giving you money because you're poor. It's yeah. just feeling icky and weird about yourself so why would you want to do that to somebody else yeah we give people in a way that enables them you know i always go by the saying give a child a fish you fed them for the day teach them how to fish you fed them for life literally the purpose of creepia like we've created this business that's going to scale small businesses so if you get a lot from us we scale you we're creating a program that will upscale women. Like, so if you've got a small business, we actually retrain you and show you, like, this is how you could get suppliers. This is how you, you know, change your mindset. But in a way you understand, not in the Western way, like going to Harvard or school, whatever, because the street life is different. Street hustling is different from, you know what I mean? Like hustling in... Of course. Business. Of course. So how, why, does, why don't businesses that produce products adapt themselves to the people they're serving in a way that will actually in the long term continue instead of that person having to come to you for loans every month how about you enable them in a way that they only come to you for a loan in eight months do you know what i mean or one year i think the kind of purpose all of our businesses should should have even things like your show whatever help you give the teachers or people that you help to you know support with anything i think our support should always go in with longevity not yes you know no for sure for sure well said well said um trust me that's a whole nother topic because i've run into enabling people through my giving so i've learned my lessons over the years and um this time with giving you have to give exactly what you're saying making sure that people become independent on their own instead of continuously giving and giving because what happens tomorrow you give them today what happens tomorrow and what happens when you're not there yes mm. you were the giver what if you happen your circumstances happen to change yeah no it's true it's so true. It's so true. We are all dreamers as we are talking about dreaming. There's a lot of people out there that are looking to come to the UK, London. What advice would you give them? Oof, advice. <laughs> advice. I'm not going to sit on your dreams. I'm going to tell you two sides. There's black and white. There's good and bad. What shall I start with? The bad uh, and <laughs> You choose whichever one. I will start with the, the middle bit, the gray area. I'll start with 
let's say your friend tells you there's nursing jobs or come to university here, my first option to you is research. And when I say research, don't even go to ask people first who've been, which is what our African nature is first. Let me ask Lucy who's been to London or is in London or whatever. Lucy might have been in London 10 years ago. Things have changed 10 years later. The law is changing all the time, right? Even if they went 10 years ago, their their perspective is different from what's going on right now. Yeah. You know, if you happen to contact somebody, they might give you help, but it's limited. I would say first, use technology literally go to google so if you know for example one of the things that you want to do is go to a particular university you can literally go into google go to let's say you want to go to imperial college london imperial college london reviews you will see what the students have left like on google the real google reviews not on their website the real google reviews people will tell you the truth it was horrible it was great uh, admission is this this is how much i had to pay and normally the latest reviews will be on there because Google shows you the most recent, like 2021. Like, yes, for sure. You know what I mean? Whereas the university may have reviews, but the reviews may have been last year's. So go to Google first. Then after you've done your Google research, then maybe contact somebody you think has been there. Oh, how was the process for you? Things like that. Then the next thing, when you're choosing to come to a country, my first approach is go to, instead of like asking people who are not trained, to advise you on immigration. Don't even go to an agency. Agents steal your money. Literally, these are things you can, one, Google, two, Google the number of the immigration, call them. Normally, they have somebody who answers. If you can't find an, like uh, some commissions, they don't answer the phone, but they will respond to you by email. So there's, I'll always say, even if you do call and they answer by phone, always follow through with an email. Why? Because it's evidence. In the event where they come back to you and say, well, we never spoke to you, there's always evidence of the conversation that you've had with the immigration service. I wanted to, because you, what you never anticipate are things like you go through an application, then one day that, that you've been given your visa, but the application people are saying, well, we didn't, you lied to us on the form or when you were making a request, you didn't say this. When you have a trail of emails, there's always evidence. That's the number one rule as an immigrant. Always have evidence because things always come back to you or somehow you will need them. I'm telling you. Like, no, that's true. That's true. I learned this for work and I learned, especially when you're an immigrant, I learned this for work and for anything because it's just always to, to keep trails of receipts of what you do because it just protects you. You can always look back on it. You can always Google, go into your emails and 2011 emails that I had, this is what was, you know, what yeah. I would then after you've done that, if you know the institution you want to go to, let's say it's a university, contact them directly, email them and call them and ask them, what are your fees? You will find that paying an agent, they will take a cut and then they'll pay the university. So the first thing, that, the best thing you can do is actually directly contact the university and they will sort everything out for you. They'll give you cheaper fees if you're going to university. If you're coming for work, make sure if you are going to an agency, it's reputable. In countries like the UK, there's... um a government website called gov.uk, Companies House. Companies House is like PACRA. So PACRA in Zambia is where all uh, patents and companies registration association, that's where all registered companies that are formal in, in Zambia are registered. So it's the same way. 
if you go to company's house, you should be able to find any reputable universities. If they're registered in like registered universities, they're legit. You should, everything is on there. You'll find their statements, their latest filings, who the directors are. Same as agencies. If you want to come through an agency that's like nursing for a job, you can literally go to company's house. This is free information, whether you're in Zambia or Philippines or wherever. You can literally Google company's house UK. It will bring up the website and you just type in the the company's name and you'll be able to see, oh, 2022, they're still in operation. That's how you can find out. Because some companies, yes, could have been registered, but they're not registered anymore since last year. That means that company is no longer valid, but you pay them money. A lot of that happened during the pandemic when people ended up losing money. So yeah, like just to protect yourself, stop being lazy and do the work yourself. Don't get agents and all these people to do your work. If you really want to learn how to like first start being an immigrant, do the work yourself. Because once you become an immigrant, you realize that once you come to this country, there's a lot of doing the things yourself. You have to go and make applications yourself. There's no agencies doing all these things for you. Yeah. Like you, know, you need to go and register for a social security number or an NRC number. You, ne- you need to do all the registrations and all the things yourself. And the best way to start learning how to do that is practicing at home when you're looking to decide to come to immigrate. No, well said. It's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to be an immigrant. And especially if you buy yourself, in order for you not to be swindled with a lot of things, there's a lot of people out there out to get people. 100%. No, so that's the bad bad side. Was that the bad order? That's the gray area. The bad side is manage your expectations. A lot of people come here and then... I am so glad you talk about that. Manage your expectations. Yeah, manage your expectations. You come here and you'll be like, oh my goodness, I'm going to go straight in and get it. Let's say maybe if you are thinking of being here and coming to university, you think you're going to finish uni immediately and get a job. It's actually like the 1% who get a job normally, but you can be the 1%, okay? Don't let me step on your dreams and hopes because I was the 1% through sheer will and just courage. I did what I had to do and I got a job where people were telling me I couldn't. The other bad thing is brace yourself for visa applications every couple of years. People forget sometimes. So if you normally, before you become like a citizen or you become a resident, you have to apply for visas. And those visas don't run like long periods. It's like four years, two years. And if you are unlucky to be in a country like this where they give you, they, they keep re- reducing the change in the rules, they keep reducing the visa so that you can pay more. So give you like a two-year visa where they used to give you a five-year one, things like that. Do you know what I mean? So every two years, make sure that the clever thing that you can do if you are clever enough, put 50 pounds aside every month. That just goes into a pot and you can call that visa fees. So that by the time the two years come along, you've got 2,000, 3,000 pounds ready. So you're not having to fork out money that you have to find to pay for visas and to show what you have in your account. The reason I say this is a majority of immigrants are in debt, not because they don't work hard and not because they don't have money, but a lot of the times it's because they are paying visa fees and the immediate amount of money that a lawyer needed was like 5,000. They didn't know where to get it from. And a lot of the times, because of where we come from at home, we didn't have credit score systems until recently. Mm. A lot of didn't know how to manage their finances. So they got bad credit scores because they were living in, not even because like they were shopping and doing what, it's not everybody, some, some people do those things, but you know, some people it's because they were living in a house with the wrong people. They were, all of them put bills on one name. They didn't pay, they missed one month and then their credit score went haywire and things just spiraled and what you have to understand is for a lot of immigrants 
you're not only taking care of yourself. 90% of the time, there's black cats. You may be helping your cousin, an aunt, a sister, whatever. Do you know what I mean? So you end up actually like being knee deep in debt and never coming out for years over an amount like 5,000, 10,000, which is nothing in reality. But you end up staying in that debt and you can't pay because you're barely meeting the ends. Do you know what I mean? So little things I'm trying to encourage you to do is start learning how to be financially literate. Immediately you're thinking of leaving home. In Zambia, majority of us are coming from home. Whether you lie to me or not, majority of us are not coming like from your own house and then going to yeah, the- yeah. Majority of us are coming from mom and dad's house. We've never paid a bill. Like I was shook when it came to England. <laughs> shook. Listen to this. When my friend told me, so I've got a friend. She's fifty years old. I love making friends of all ages. And she was like, my son started doing the paper round when he was like twelve. I was like, what's a paper round and what do you mean? He used to get paid. She's like, it's it's a job. He used to work since he was twelve. Like, no way. I didn't. This was the most shocking, this biggest culture shock. Anyway, I'm assuming you're going to talk about culture shocks later. Yeah. Biggest culture shock was to find out like young children start working from a young age here. At first, I was appalled by it, but when you really look at it, it teaches those kids the value of understanding one pound, five pound. Mm-hmm of earning whereas I was an adult who came here and had never worked in my life I didn't know what the price of milk is I had no clue I was completely <laughs> here I was spending mad money my mom's gonna kill me if she hears this podcast hopefully not but I don't why I spent 700 pounds guys 700 pounds in one week on what I can't remember one yeah. week uh, one week and it's not even because like I was going out like buying away and Shandor. I wasn't even really drinking that much then. I just can't remember what I spent it on because I spent my week like just walking around London aimlessly doing God knows what. Like I was just, and these are just day trips. They're not even night trips. Do you know what I mean? So like if maybe I was going to a club or whatever. No, these are just day trips and I was spending 700 pounds. It shows you the level of mismanagement even though my mom had always thought it's like the 80-20 rule like finance but those were theories. This wasn't reality. There was <laughs> like this is how much you have for this month. Spend it. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. So he hits. My advice is start learning your financial literacy um, things before you come, so that you you teach yourself how to save little things. Those little fifty pounds you're saving, hundred dollars here and there, you can put them for specific things like visas, you know, black tax or whatever. That really helps you. On the good side. The good side of living abroad is that I grew up so quickly because I didn't have my mother to always rely on. I didn't have family. There's no aunties, cousins, what whatnot to rely on. I literally had myself and I learned how to become resilient and I learned how to create relationships with friends, mm. my family. That doesn't just require you meeting the right people by God's grace. Yes, by God's grace, but it requires you also nurturing yourself to be the kind of friend to attract those kind of friends. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Literally, I can tell you, like, all my friends are my true sisters. I can't tell you. Like, you know, there's that saying that says, count on your hand. If you counted on one hand, you'll see that um, if you were in an emergency and wanted any of your friends to come to you, you'll find that there's no one. That's a lie. I can say this about all my closest friends. Like, they will all ride for me and I'll ride for them too. Like they're the real ones, the, the real MVPs. But then when I was looking back on my life, I realized intentional. 
those people are close friends of mine like that because I am that person. I am the friend who's always there for people. I am the friend who's vulnerable. Don't doesn't just show you the great things me and yeah. this. I show you the reality. Look, I'm broke here. Or this is what I'm going through. I'm in pain here. That is what true friendship is. And if you can learn to be that person, you will find great connections. So learn how to create a network. Those are the good things. You know, have good friends. Open yourself up. You know, once you open yourself up, you realize that the world once you're an immigrant is amazing, and that the opportunity for you to learn and become whatever you want to become is crazy. So maybe whilst that in certain countries at home you might have limitations on what you're capable of achieving or doing, you're in another environment where you could try new things. You yeah. know, so go for gold. Learn to take yourself on dates. Go to the ballet. Things that you think are not black. I do so many unblack things. I love it. I have. I always say to my white friends, I have white friends for all the crazy adventures that I would never have done with my black friends because white people be trying everything. <laughs> you know. Yes. No. For sure. Yeah. Like for open sure, yourself yeah. up, and that is what like actually immigration does. Though that opens a new world that you didn't know to you. So those are the good things. I think open your mind. Oh, listen, you give so much. I, I'm so glad I tuned into this, okay? <laughs> oh, I mean, I can relate. And for anybody who is thinking, hoping, wanting to go to anywhere in the world, even aside from where we are, with the U.S. or the U.K., these are great tips you can use anywhere. And, oh, I am so... The visa expenses... I did a podcast with a friend, actually. Um, oh, my God. Discussed black tax. And these <laughs> things I spoke about, I don't know if you'll find it on YouTube. It's called ATMP, Africa, the Master Plan. That was the point. We were talking about financial literacy and all these things. And I think there are things that are woven in our, I wouldn't say culture. I wouldn't even call it tradition. I think it's just community behaviors that we as a people end up doing and then the point of what I'm trying to say is I think sometimes even as immigrants I think I tend to see our people become ashamed of some of our own behaviors some young people tend to look down on their parents in terms of they'll see their white friends finishing university with big pots of money and they're like why couldn't you be like other parents you know there's something to be said about the psychology of who we are and until you yourself decide to unlearn certain behaviors, you will be the exact same reflection of your parents and their parents. And it, the cycle continues. So if you've noticed that your parents didn't give you that 50,000, 100,000 when you were finishing university, be the person who unlearns, be the person who gets out of debt so you don't have to do the same behaviors. But do not shun your parents because they did not have a manual when you came along. No one told them how it was going to be. They were just doing YOLO trial and error you of know course. Yeah, and yeah. that's the beauty of of life even if your parents did make mistakes my mom made many mistakes and me and her have had so many conversations with her recently about what those mistakes are but the reality is once you're an adult your parents don't owe you anything and even 100% even if unfortunately they hurt you or maybe they had an influence on the way you behave as an adult once you become an adult you have full agency on how you behave and what you want to be because nobody's holding you back but your mind that is it anything you are unhappy about you can choose to unlearn anything you are happy about you can choose to keep so 
just as I'm saying about like, you know, even from being an immigrant and stuff like that, choose what you want to keep from your parents. My parents had a horrible divorce. There were many things I don't want, but the things I want to keep about how I grew up or what I want to replicate for my children when I have children. I know it sounds like I'm going off topic, but these are all things that weave into you as an immigrant. We all have different stories that create the DNA of being an immigrant, why we are coming from where we're coming. Some run, some are running, like I said for myself, from problems, you know, which is the majority a lot of times because we're seeking greener pastures. Some just able to because they're born in money privilege, you know, so they're able to move because they can and they can decide to go back if they want to. And that's yes. okay as well, you know, but I think amongst, above all as immigrants, I want all of us to really start doing this thing where we're very honest with ourselves in the decisions we make. So when I say we're very honest in ourselves, I mean very few people I know ever do something called introspection. So looking inside yourself and asking yourself why you behave how you behave. Why, you know, do you think how you think about certain things, about certain people, about who you think you are. A lot of the times, if a lot of us introspected enough, you'll realize that you're not who you think you are. You know, and that is a very, like, it's like a pin drop moment. Once you start realizing, understanding yourself, questioning things, forgiving yourself, giving yourself grace, you can put down some of the behaviors you've learned and you can learn new things and create your own version of what you want to be. And you can move with honor, honoring yourself, like be okay with being who you are. And then you can become the immigrant you want to be, you know, despite whatever may be happening around you, despite whatever, you know, oppressive systems are existing when it comes mm-hmm. to the issues, you know, despite how your parents raised you and have hurt you if they did, or, you know, just the difficulties you've gone through in life, you can form the person that you want to be and not be defined by the things you've been through. And I'm speaking from my true experience, honestly. Like, whilst it was a choice to come to the UK and go to school, I've had so much difficulty going through the whole visa issues and stuff like that. But people would never know it because I choose to refuse to be defined by immigration systems. Yeah. So powerful. No, it's so powerful. And I'm so happy that you're sharing all of the uh, challenges, the triumphs, and some of the things why we leave our countries. And uh, everybody has a different story of why they decide to leave. And um, in your case, being so open and so giving of your story, it's truly, truly uh, appreciated on my end. And I hope it resonates with a lot of people. And I know somebody's going to get something from everything that you've shared, even the visa process. I didn't know it was that much. Like, I'm learning so much sitting here. The UK in the world, <laughs> I think, is the only country that has a, pro- a policy where the home office, so the people who make the rules on your visa, uh, have an indefinite amount of time to make a decision on any case. <laughs> Seriously, it's a, it's a, it's a rule. It's a rule that many oh chat- I'm laughing, but it's not funny because it's just mind-boggling for me. It is mind-boggling. Like, why don't you give me a time frame of when I'm going to find out about they, my process? They give you a time frame in like a letter they say to you, you've received your application, but they can take an unlimited amount of time because there's there's no rule law that stops them from taking 20 years if they want to, 10 years, 15 years. Oh my God. Organizations have rallied to try and change this but it's so funny that they just brush it under the corner like they never 
it's because it gives leeway all the time for mistakes that happen and there's this thing that happened in the UK called the wind rush you should read about it and it was where Caribbean people who had arrived on the last boat coming to the UK to help during the war uh, it was called the wind rush boat and those people came with their little children like babies toddlers and everything and what the the country home office did like ice what they did is they burned all the cards and passports and evidence. Yes, yes. They lost, burnt or whatever they did, but lost all the documentation of these people. And what happened in that 10-year period is they oppressed so many Caribbean and Black and Indian people who came in that period, started deporting them, people lost jobs, people lost their mental states. And then the story broke a year ago, two years ago, that it was the home office who had like actually destroyed these people's evidence or you know like there was no information that these people were on record so they were deporting people who were legally british mad. it was a mad story like what's crazy is you don't understand how this story wasn't as big like around the world for people to know about it but like oppressive systems like i said um yeah and you know once they found out that some of these people were British, they started trying to bring them back, those who had been deported, but people were dead where they went. Imagine coming to England when you're three years old or three months old, then being deported to Jamaica where you've never lived and you're 40 or 50. No, it's, that's that, that's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. This is real. And wow. whilst immigration is amazing, there are also very dark, sinister things to immigration that are very much trenched in race, in my opinion. That's what I was talking about, like the whole Ukraine thing. It's not to compare the tragedies of what's going on in Ukraine, Ethiopia, Palestine, all these countries. It's to show that when you're a different skin color, you're actually treated differently because it's a fact. Because oh, wow. I mean, in in America, oh. we go through that. My son, I mean, even though he's mixed, I'm gonna have to have him a, co- a conversation with him when he's of age, of being able to be respectful to cops and the fact that. Even if it's mixed, it's black. So the worst thing, I think, it's sad that we have to have this type of conversation with our children and how they have to behave. That is another issue. Like as an immigrant, you have to brace yourself for the fact that nobody's ever called you by your race where you're coming from, and now this will be your day. <sighs> It'll be your daily bread. And the hardest thing about being racially profiled as an immigrant is not even the blatant racism, it's the subtleness. It is the microaggressions. It's being at work and being undermined all the time. No matter how intelligent, what PhD you have, you'll forever be undermined and nobody cares and nothing's ever going to happen about it. That is the hardest, hardest, hardest thing. You will need to like almost have a second mind so that you can just calm yourself down and not have to pay too much mind but when you're a fresh immigrant it will affect you all the time every time somebody like you will notice it and it will just like yeah over and over again you'll notice the behavior and it affects you changes you a lot it it does it does i mean like for for me even if somebody passes a compliment of oh you you speak very good english coming from where you come from it's like a subtle way of saying (laughs) It's a compliment, and then it like, kind of hits you in the gut, too, at the same time. So it's just like, okay, I mean, I- I'll-, I'll take it, but then you, you keep it moving. It always and- makes me laugh when people say that to me. I'm just, I just look at, like, I get, the funny thing is I always get confused. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I need you to share some stereotypes. Have you experienced any stereotypes? 
Uh, give an example of a stereotype. My brain is. I, I mean, let me see. I've had a few. So one of them is the English part. Uh, uh-huh. that I, I'm able to speak English. And then another one is, let me see. Uh, one is what, what I see outside the window. When I open up the window, they expect me to be seeing like an animal outside. I'll give you a funny one on that. I was in, <laughs> we're, at, we're at my friend's house. White girl called Jama Jama. I'm going to call you out wherever you are. <laughs> Jama. She's sitting down. We're all talking with my friend, Maureen and stuff. And then she goes, so guys, how did you come to England? Like, so... What happens where you are? So my friend, Maureen, is the most sarcastic person I know. She's hilarious. If you And her, her sarcasm is very witty, so if you don't catch on you. So Maureen goes, Maureen's Kenyan. She goes, well, actually, Gemma, do you know that to study, I had to catch those little fireflies, the light, the lighting ones. I used them as electricity, like, to read. <gasps> Gemma was like, oh. so at first I, I was laughing because we were all drinking. So I thought she was joking, but she was actually being serious. Like, she was seriously listening to this and heating it up. Maureen goes further. She goes, yeah, actually, so on top of reading, so what happened is I got a scholarship. They allowed me to come to the UK. But to come, I literally had to pay something. But because my family didn't have money, I went with my goat at the airport and I exchanged my goat so I could have a seat. And yeah, that was how I came. Gemma was so shook. She was like, wow. <laughs> you know, you've been through so much. I was dying. I was just like, wow. So oh my god! I need more in on the show. I need her to to, to bring life. Well, I need to bring her like for real. I, actually, I'm. <laughs> I mean, she's our Kenyan, uh, our Kenyan girl. We need all of that. We need all of them. I was just like, this girl really can't understand. Like. You know, there's a saying in Bemba. I'm going to speak some Bemba right now. There's a saying, so my name is Muma. I'm from Zambia, you know, from the Copper Belt. And there's a, we speak a language called Bemba. And there's a saying in Bemba. It says, When you translate that into English, I'm going to try. I have no idea what you just said. And I'm A child. A child that never, a child that never travels or leaves its mother's home only appreciates its own mother's cooking and the idea from that analogy is that when you're not traveling that's the beauty of being an immigrant when you travel your yeah. mind and you become more tolerant you realize people live different lives different things and that's the point Gemma could speak from her small mind and her small world because she had never been beyond you know the world that she knew yeah but there's another thing to be said about people who are almost like I don't know if it's bigots. I don't know what you call them. They do travel, but they're still so close-minded because they've put themselves on this pedestal where they think their way of doing things is the be and end-all. How dare the Maasai people walk around in red robes or how do you know what I mean? There are people like that. The close-mindedness is not just for people who don't travel, but a majority of the time when you don't travel, you actually don't open your mind. So even if, even if you can't afford to leave the country, leave your town, please. Like, go somewhere. Yeah, read a book. Uh, do some uh, Googling. <laughs> Mama is big on Google. Google. <laughs> read a book. I'm a big reader. Let me tell you something. Prior to even ever traveling to England or anywhere, my mom always instilled in us reading. And uh, you can find hundreds of books in my house. Because um, I read every month, maybe a minimum of like four books. Like read, because it just changes your life. And I don't... Uh, 
I'm, I'm a podcaster now, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. I get in the car. I'm just like, I, I, I need to to be rejuvenated. I need to hear something. So I'm constantly learning as well. I used to read books a lot too. But and now... Just reading, listen, isn't it? Now you've got yes. audiobooks. You know, there's a different way to travel the world without moving. So. It's true. It, it's so true. It's so true. Like, I mean, right now, I mean, they... UK. <laughs> I'm in the UK. Oh my God. I can talk to you forever. And I <laughs> I know my uh, our community is going to be, oh my God, it's going to be great for they tuned in for this. And uh, for me, you've shared so much with the Culture Shark. How was that for you with Culture Shark? Like what experiences have you had with Culture Shark? Ooh, I'll tell you another Culture Shark. <laughs> University. I'm in marketing class and we had a lecturer called Nina. So Nina's surname, let's say Samuels, I can't remember her surname. Yeah. I remember her first name though. And she goes, hello uh, students, my name's Nina, whatever, 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 this is what we're going to do. So I need to ask Nina a question and I lift up my hand. Excuse me, ma'am. She calls, don't say, don't call me ma'am. So I was like, oh, excuse me, miss. Don't call me miss. Okay, missus. She goes, you're making me feel old. So I say, but you are old. I didn't mean to say, like, you're old. Yes, yes. You are old. like Older than me. Somebody older than you, you can't just call them by their name. Like, I was meaning you're old. Gosh, like, the whole class went, yeah, quiet. Like, you just called her old. I'm like, no, I mean, oh, I wanted to die that day. I was like, no, I meant you're older than me. That was a culture shock. Like, having people you know old people give you just their first name um another weird thing in england people always say love and darling i really found that irritating a lot i couldn't handle it because like i'm i kept telling these old men i'm not your darling i don't even know you (laughs) (laughs) i kept doing that but i didn't oh they'll call you poppet hello poppet but it's like um what is that i don't know it's just an endearing word that like English towns or certain English towns like using hello puppet, hello duck, hello love, hello darling, all these words. Like it's just endearing words. But culture shock for me was um I'm not your darling, I'm not your puppet or your love. It's weird. Let's keep it professional, you know? But it's not doesn't mean that a person is in love with you. It's just how people speak. And for me that I couldn't I couldn't reconcile that because I felt like it, it was it was diluting the word love because I would only call somebody I actually love love or darling. But anyway, you live and you learn. Now I, I probably call people love and babe all the time. So. <laughs> oh, listen, I have the same uh, the same thing. Uh, my culture shock was that also with the first name calling, and I was just like, wow, okay. The first employee I actually called her ma'am. She was fine with it. The second one for babysitting, I called her by her, I call her ma'am. She's like, no, 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 just call me by my name. So I call her by her name, which was weird for me. She's, she was older than me again. So it, it's just felt weird to go by first name basis. And then also the same thing, honey, I, I, it's a customs to me. My hairstylist, I call, we call each other, honey, how you doing, no, whatever. It's funny how you get used to this. I, I'm so used to it. Like, it doesn't mean, like, you're my honey and all of that. It's just, like, it's part of the language. It's part of the lingo. It's just the way to express, I guess, love in a puppy way kind of thing. Yeah. Not Like, it's, it's nothing deep. And that's culture <laughs> shock. 
sorry English people, but some of the food was tasteless. Like yo, like how can you just put salt and pepper in food? Come on. <laughs> oh, salt and pepper. Some food, like some people, just salt and pepper. I found that like, the older generation cooked more like I don't know flavor or flavored food, but like some people just cook like salt and pepper, and they think that's cooking. I'm just like what. <laughs> So the food, yeah. For for us here, we have. I mean, you can eat whatever you want, like anything you want that you used to eat. Let's say back home, you can find yeah. it in the US. However, the taste is completely different. Like whatever you imagine, even yeah, I mean, for my lousy people, Shima is not the same taste. Yeah, it's not. The meal meal is different, and then also like even tilapia fish. Let's say completely different so everything tastes different you will enjoy like now here actually we have zambians that are bringing capenta big fish so people can order so i get to order that and whenever i miss home or miss um, my food i'm able to cook that on my own there's somebody who sells hungarian sausage oh it's amazing it must be nice <laughs> yes it's nice it's nice and it's through community it's through community mm-hmm. somebody told me this person the person actually told me about the fish was uh, one of my clients what do you live by what is in, what inspires you what do you go by what gets you moving i know you read a lot of books but what gets you moving i think the what really keeps me moving when i reflect on my life now is the ability to solve an issue in a creative way i always ask myself why am i starting a company like let me tell you something starting a business is not fun as people make it out to be like mark zuckerberg yeah yeah, yeah. nobody tells you about like sleeping at 5am and having anxiety attacks all the time what keeps me moving is the fact that whatever i'm going to solve an issue for is going to help somebody but i'm also doing it in a way that i like brings out my most creative self yeah. i think i always say this is my actual saying quote mama the highest form of humanity is creativity because when you're not creating you're not human you're not yourself when you're not being a mom and making things with your kids when you're not creating life when you're not being a wife when you're not being whatever it is you're trying to be you're dead you're not creating anymore you don't yeah. have- mm-hmm. creating is the highest form of humanity the the job that you have as a human is to discover the different forms of creativity that you enjoy at different stages in your life you know and give those your utmost you know do not be mediocre like another thing i live by is i refuse to be mediocre in everything i do like i i only want to be excellent and that doesn't mean like punishing myself like studying my like mental or like living my life by other people's terms it means if you're going to do something even if it's the most boring thing do it excellently because you want to do it and you love to do it you got I me mean? give it your all whatever you decide to do don't be half-hearted in what you do yeah and just pursue that like yolo people say the sky is the limit i say it's the only only the view do you who says the sky is the limit elon musk is going to mars now you know There's another version of that. What could it be for you, you know? Oh, well said. I love 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 that. I, yeah, I love it. Staying at home is for you then that's cool too. Just own it. That's it. true. It's true. It's true. Just own whatever you do. Oh my god. No, I love it. Love it. Love it. This conversation has been amazing. It's been great. 
How can we find Muma? And how can people sign up, first of all, for your bank? Okay. How can we sign up for that? So, oh, this is so much. Okay. So, I've got two businesses. Prepare Finance, which is uh, a digital platform that will create financial services for the unbanked in Africa. So, to sign up, there's multiple things. So, you could be a person in the diaspora thinking... I want a product because this is another thing as well. We also want to target diaspora and Africans. For example, you have so many issues sending money home. You're using all these other organizations that exist and they're very limited. Maybe they have too many high transactions. We're trying to solve that solution as well. So we want suggestions. Like literally email us at hello at Kripia, K-R-Y-P-I-A finance so f-i-n-a-n-c-e dot com hello at creepyfinance.com you can email us suggestions about as a diasporan zambian what would be easy what would be great for you to see what are you willing to pay for also i would like all of you to sign up for our digital bank like send us your email address if you want to be part of some members that will beta test our digital bank we're creating um village banking groups that are digital so you would be able to everything so if you're in a village banking group with your auntie in zambia let's say you're fundraising to build a school you're fundraising to to build a house you know instead of you sending your money to your auntie in zambia all the time and you're not sure how it's going you can literally be in a village banking group with them where you can manage everything you can see how the money is moving and all that stuff and you can be on the list to be tested so we're trying to find as many people as we can to be part of this so sign up your name you know if you want to help your cousin get a loan in Zambia, just a short period loan that helps them scale their business. Sign up. We need all the help that we can because this is a community business. And at the end of the year, we'll be fundraising eventually after we've validated the whole business. We'll be fundraising for, and we want to open it up in such a way that our initial investors should be Zambian. And we want them to be ordinary Zambians. If you want to own part of a digital bank, like There'll be a time where we'll open it up for you to be an investor. And if you're saving for 10 grand, 20 grand, you want to do that, says this is the time for you. Put yourself on a list with, you know, let us know. Alternatively, if you're not into finance, I've obviously built an African art platform, which is my favorite bit. And um, in this platform, we'll be selling African art of high value. So there'll be no cheap, cheap art. It'll be investment art. And the idea is, you buy a piece of artwork today that's worth 1000 A year from now, that piece of artwork is worth 5000 It's literally the art stock market. So you know the pieces that you're buying on there will be of high value. It's another way of you saving without putting your money in a savings account. It's in your war instead. You know, and we want to teach Africans this, like, you know, financial value comes in different forms. That's why you see all these wealthy Western people. It's not just that they're having savings or investments. They actually literally have homes full of art purposefully, you know, to purposefully created to protect you and your money. So, yeah. yeah. And one day that, that art can put your child to school. You never know. And um, it, it, 100% that the value of that art is art never decreases in value. It is only bound to increase. And the opportunity that exists there to me that is shocking that Africans don't take advantage of it is crazy. I'll just give you one statistic. In the last two years, guess how much value the African art market has grown by just in the last two years whilst we're in the pandemic. Just give me a percentage of what you think the increase could be. 60, 70? 
okay, you're going to <laughs> but like but it's it's not far, you were right. Fifty seven percent in two years. In oh, wow. If you imagine that as the stock market or you imagine that as money that you put in an account, just imagine. Fifty seven percent increase is crazy. That is and do you know what's happening right now? Now everyone's buying African art. And who amongst Africans is managing this process for Africans? Oh my God, nobody. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. This is a period for you as Africans to start looking at investing into artists, you know. And one other thing that we have on our platform is experiences. And we're partnering with, if you've got like Africa Chop House in New York, uh, you know, a bougie, classy restaurant that offers an experience, we're looking for partnerships, you know, whatever you do, like, if we want to be able to offer art and experiences to the people who are members of our platform. So hit me up for that. You can email me uh, at mulishani at africanafospaces.com. I will I'll put all the info. When, uh, when yes. it stops, I'll put all the info because I, I don't think... Yes, and follow us. And, or, or if you want to just talk to me and ask me, like, you know, because this is another thing. I think when you're a diaspora and african you want to do things at home but you're a bit unsure maybe because you've been away from home for long yeah go about doing things it's I'm, a trust issue you don't know who to trust because sometimes yeah, i'm very open to give like yeah. i give advice but not for free guys because it's just that i get paid my linkedin literally states pay black women what they're worth so <laughs> to me, i have worked so hard to gain all the experience that i have come i'll give you advice if it's like if it ends up being like consultation, obviously you I'll charge you a fee. But like it just shows you how serious I am because I'm not joking. I'll actually give you sensible advice. So yeah, but if it's just like two minutes, I'll talk to you. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, and also I mean they can follow you on Mooma Sinkala on Facebook, right? Yes, please follow me on Facebook. If it's business, you can follow me on LinkedIn. But yeah. Very <laughs> nice. Very nice. All right, Heidi. <laughs> I gotta call you honey. Yeah, it's been great. You can call me honey, darling, whatever. I'm cool. Like before. Well, we are used to this now. We are used to we're, this. We're used to this now. Like, I am so grateful to have been part of this space. I am very proud of you for creating such a powerful, powerful space. I think if you manage it really well, it's gonna blow up. Like, immigrants need this. You know, so many people are going through so many difficult things. I think the opportunity to talk about their journeys and reflect both the highs and the lows is probably something as immigrants we don't get a chance to because you're always on the go, always working, always like, you know, yeah. things that you don't realize you've done so much. And it's, I think it's very powerful. Every, every immigrant should know this. It takes a lot to leave your comfort zone, what you've known, what you, you know, only the people you see to go on into a completely new zone where no one knows you, people are treating you bad and good and stuff like that and trying to refine yourself. Yeah. Clap for yourself. Like, for real, though. Clap for yourself to have achieved all that and get to where you are. It's very inspirational. So if anyone should inspire you, it should be yourself every time. Oh, well said. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I know we have our five-hour time difference, and oh my God, I'm so grateful that you were able to join. And I've had so much fun. This is our space. This is our space yeah. for everybody, and this is why I created this platform. It's not for me; it's for all of us. You know, you're beautiful and wonderful as you are. So, 
Thank you. You too, sis. You too. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast, and I hope everybody really enjoys our. Oh, they will. There was so much. There's so much that we we spoke about. So much nuggets that threw in there. I'm excited to see the comments or the reviews. <laughs> me too. Me too. They're gonna get us. Okay. <laughs> All right, honey. I'm going to let you go. I know it's going to be night over there. Yes, it is. But thank you so much, sis. Have a lovely evening or day or morning. Bye. Thank you so much for an amazing conversation. I am so grateful to you for taking the time out to sit down with me. I know we have five hour difference between New York and London. So thank you, thank you, thank you for pulling into the community. And guys, if you are planning and if you are dreaming to go to London, UK, Muma gave so much information, so much takeaways. If you have to, please listen to this episode two times, three times. I also post the video on um, the YouTube channel very, very soon. Um, this way you can get to, you know, put the face to the voice that you're hearing and you can see the beauty of Muma. Some of the takeaways that Muma talked about was the visa process. It seems very serious, guys. I learned a lot from what she was saying. If you're planning to go to college, do your research Google, read some reviews, even during the visa process, going back to that, please do your research as well. Terms and conditions of any kind of anything change all the time. So please do your research, read. Sometimes if you ask other people, they might know all the information. It's, just, it's not that they give you wrong information. It's just they might have all the information. But if you do your own research and you see the most recent information uh, this way you don't run into trouble she also gave tips on savings please save up for your visas and also black tax we go to these countries um, having people on our backs not physically but you know we have people that we have to take care of when we are back home and saving up for that is important. I wish I did that for myself, but yes, saving up for that is, is good. This way you don't uh, tap into your own savings that you're trying to save up for. And also, I agree with Muma. Be open-minded to meeting new people, doing different things. Um, meeting new people is super important. This way you expand your networking and you get to learn different things from different people. And that's the beauty of being an immigrant. Your brain gets to, you know, be on an adventure, I would say. And you get to learn so much from different cultures, different people. Uh, we're all different and we all bring different things to the table. My advice to you, just show up as much as the people show up for you. Because I've been touched by so many people in my life. And I'm so grateful for everybody who's been uh, in my life. And uh, even if they're no longer in my life, but it's been amazing when they, they, they brought different things in my life. And you want that. I have such an amazing sister circle. I don't talk to them every single day. However, when I cry, they cry. If I'm going through something, they are going through something. If they are going through something, I'm there for them. That means I'm going through something with them. So please build your network and be open to doing different things. 
even if you're not used to it. Another thing that I want to add to what Muma was saying, she said, we all have different stories that create the, the DNA of why we choose to leave our countries. The sky is only the view. I want to encourage everybody to follow their heart. Go after your heart. Believe me, a lot of people are going to, you know, wish they were you. Because not everybody has the courage to follow their heart. I want to thank Muma for elevating us, for elevating others through Crepia and through her African Art for Spaces. You, my dear, are doing amazing. I'm so proud of what you are doing. And guys, please, let's make sure that we support Muma. I'll put down all the information that you need to have to support her. Thank you again for tuning in today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours. Share it with your family and friends. Tag me on your social media. I have Facebook. I have Instagram, whichever one that you use. I would also love to hear from you. Leave me a review. And if there's a topic you have in mind that you'd love for me to cover, let me know as well. Look out for new episodes every week on Mondays. And I truly appreciate you being part of the community and supporting the community. Until next time, keep dreaming. Concrete Pastures